It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at northstarsports.media. And welcome to the show, everybody. we got a great one for you today here on this Tuesday, August 4th, 2020. Got a very big show here today. Might be extra long. Uh, we got a lot to get to here. we got a lot to get to. Uh, we have the debut segment of the Mailman's Matchmaking. That's where the Mailman matchmakes some UFC fights that make sense in the immediate future. Uh, so that'll be fun. I think we'll lead off the show with that. We'll also get to a quick preview of uh, the first, I guess, episode of uh, Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, which will uh, air today. Um, a, a real a real quick one. Again, a, kind of a cursory look. I don't have a whole lot on it. I didn't do a whole lot of research on it. But, you know, it's, it's always fun. It makes things funner when you have predictions. So we'll make some predictions for that one, um, even though, you know, they're, they're not going to be expert opinions. Uh, let's see, what else do we got here? We also, uh, we'll talk some Minnesota Wild. They have a playoff game tonight versus the Vancouver Canucks. We'll talk about their, uh, last game, game one, and then we'll, we'll preview, uh, again, a cursory preview of, uh, tonight's, uh, game. And then, uh, if we have time, I think we'll get to, uh, some news about, uh, The Rock making, uh, uh, the purchase of the XFL and, and kind of what that means, excuse me, for football, uh, in general, but that's that's probably only if we uh, only if we really have time. Uh, so, without any further ado, I think we'll start here with the debut segment of the Mailman's Matchmaking. Uh, still working on a sounder for that one, but you know we'll, we'll get that done at some point. Uh, so, I believe I have 17 fights that I need to see happen. You know what I mean? We have the North Star Sports rankings, which are far superior to the UFC rankings. So why not have our own matchmaking? I mean, you know what I mean? The Every single one of these are rock solid, rock solid. And I believe, I try to do my best. I don't believe any of these guys have fights coming up. Um, or, or if they do, I take that into account here. So uh, we'll kind of start from heavyweight and move our way down to bantamweight. Um, so we'll, we'll start off uh, with, I need to see. The winner of DC and Stipe 3 versus Francis Ngannou. I need to see it. It makes sense. It, it, it has to happen. Uh, obviously, Stipe is the champion. DC is the number one contender. And Francis Ngannou is the number two contender. Now, ordinarily, this is a very weird time for the heavyweight division because this trilogy will span, I believe, over three years. So, it started... At 2.26 in July of 2018, there was the fight in August of 2019 at 2.41, and then, you know, the fight here in August uh, at 2.52. So, you know what I mean? It's been a tough time, (coughs) excuse me, it's been a tough time in the heavyweight division to get a title shot. Uh, We did have that Derek Lewis title shot in November of 2018. Um, but outside of that, there has not been someone challenging for the title other than those two competitors. Now, I know it gets kind of weird because 
DC said he's going to retire after this fight. Dana White is adamant that he shouldn't retire. He still has much more to give. So I'm down with that. I'm a realist, so I, I really do believe I take Daniel Cormier at face value when he says he will retire if win, lose, or draw. But, I mean, we could give all DC a real hell of a payday to try to bring him back. So, I I am very interested in that. And, you know, Cormier is very, very focused on legacy. He's very focused on legacy. And I think beating Francis Ngannou, I mean, that's going to do wonders for your, for your legacy. I think it did wonders for Stipe's legacy the first time. Because look at that killer. People were afraid to fight him on his way up. So already the legacy is great. But then look at what he did afterwards. Look at all the guys he's murdered. Absolutely murdered in under a minute. So, you know, I, I think it's obviously a very dangerous fight. Because, again, it only takes one punch from Nganu to stop uh, DC. But if DC takes him down one time, it's probably the end of the fight. So it could be a disastrous fight for DC. Or it could be an easy payday because he's just got to take him down one time, in my opinion. Um, now, notice I'm talking about DC fighting Ngannou because I do believe DC will beat Stipe. I think D- DC, oh, what is it? They've maybe fought for 15 minutes. I think DC's won about 14 of those 15 minutes. I think uh, the small octagon is going to help him against Stipe. I think he's going to focus a lot more on his wrestling. Stipe does not have an answer for his wrestling. The only way Stipe can win is to knock him out. I do believe that. Um, that's what happened the last time. And, and you know, DC didn't respect him. He had his hands down, took, you know, eight punches to the body, and uh, couldn't handle it. So, you know, I think I think he's learned from that mistake. And I really, really feel very confident that DC is going to beat Stipe. But again, uh, you know, it's obviously a real possibility, given Stipe just won the last fight, that Stipe wins this one. So that's why I say the winner of DC and Stipe versus Nganu, because Nganu was the rightful number one contender outside of you know DC, obviously. But again, in any other time in, in heavyweight history, Nganu would be the number one contender. He would have already fought for a belt. I mean, he's just you know absolutely killed everybody since that uh, that stinker with Derek Lewis. So what is it after that one knocked out Cain Velasquez in like 50 seconds? Knocked out JDS in 70 seconds. Knocked out... Uh, ah, shit. What? No, no, no. It was Blade. It was He knocked out Blades, Velasquez, Dos Santos, and Rosenstrike in that order. So, <laughs> Curtis Blades is number three. JDS is number five. Rosenstrike is number six. Uh, you know what I mean? So, like, you can't deny this man a title shot any longer. I know Stipe dominated him the first time. I think Nganu's a much different fighter. Um, I think his ground game probably is better. I'd, I would ha- We haven't seen it, but I'd have to imagine that he's improved on that, and I have to imagine that it would be a more c- competitive fight. And again, like always, if Nganu hits Stipe with one punch, he could kill him. Now, it didn't happen the first time. Every fight's different. So, you know, th- we have to have that rematch. Um so I, I think that's the one I have to see. Uh, that's the only uh, fight I have on uh, or in the, the heavyweight division. Uh, the next one here that I have to see uh, that makes logical sense is I need to see John Jones take on Dominic Reyes a second time. Now, the first fight was a controversial fight. I personally thought that John Jones won that fight. I thought he won rounds three through five. Um, so I, I'm not one of these people who think Dominic Reyes won. 
but it was very close. It was probably the closest fight John Jones has had in a long time, except for the Tiago Santos fight. Now, the reason I didn't pick John Jones versus Tiago Santos is Santos has a fight scheduled with Teixeira. So he was ineligible for me to, to, to put on here. Uh, but, but we'll get to Tiago Santos in a minute. But, you know, that was a very close fight. Some people thought that uh, John Jones won. Like, I think Kenny Florian believes John Jones won rounds three, three through five. But, you know, a fair amount of people, perhaps the majority of people, uh, not an overwhelming majority, but maybe 60%, 55% of the people think that Reyes won the fight. So we got to run it back. There's no clear number one contender in the light heavyweight division. You know what I mean? There's a lot of tough fighters. Um, but, you know, I think, I think you know, that allows for for Reyes to get an immediate title shot. Um, I would I would say it, it it's going to go poorly for Reyes. I would favor John Jones in that rematch. Um, you look at the rematches that John Jones has had. Uh, the rematch for Cormier, who's one of the greatest fighters of all time, did not go good. Didn't go good. The rematch for Gustafson, who arguably gave Jones his toughest fight ever, didn't go good. Got knocked out in the third round. Both of those guys went to a decision with John Jones. Both of them got knocked out in the third round in the rematch. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so I, I would envision Dominic Reyes faring worse in a rematch because I believe John Jones downloads you as a fighter. Um, but fair play, we got to see it. So maybe uh, maybe I'm wrong, but you know history has proven that John Jones in rematches is way better. He's way more motivated. I don't think he was truly motivated for Dominic Reyes. Uh, I think when he's motivated, he's an incredibly scary fighter. And really, the last time he was motivated was the the Gus fight, uh, the second one. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say he had lackluster performances versus Santos and Reyes. It's or Smith as well. So his last three, but they're just not John signature John Jones performances. John Jones could finish anybody. Um, so so I need to see that. I think that's fair. I think that's that's what has to be done. It, it would provide clarity on the situation. Now, sticking here in the light heavyweight division, I need to see the winner of Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira fight Jan Blahovich. Now, the implication here, whether or not this is fair or not, I just said, and I think, and I truly believe this is what the UFC is going to do. I think the UFC will book Jones versus Reyes. But in the mailman's own matchmaking, that's what I would do anyway. So if that's a given, if that's a given, then let's just assume John Jones wins because I think that's a fair assumption. Um, but if it's Reyes, then wh- whatever, then, you know, but okay. When's the earliest John Jones is going to fight Dominic Reyes? I don't know, December, January, I have no idea. So then you have to think about like four months after December or January. So the belt is not going to be available if Jones and Reyes fight, you know, later this year, which is kind of optimistic. The earliest the belt will be available for another title shot is probably May of 2021. So there's going to be, you know, some time. There's going to be like nine months from now to win the win. Yeah, and whatever, weird shit happens, but, you know, I'm just trying to play this through. So, Santos and Teixeira, I think they're supposed to fight in October, maybe, maybe September. Um, the winner of that takes on Jan Blahovich. So, Santos is number two, Blahovich is number three, Teixeira is number four in the North Star rankings. So, you could argue, and I would not disagree with you, that the winner of Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira should fight John Jones. 
that's probably the fair thing to do. But listen, Jan Blachowicz, look at what he's done. He's had two KOs in his last two fights against two really good opponents. So how is that fair to him? So I I, I want to see the winner of Santos and Teixeira fight Blachowicz, and the winner of that fight takes on John Jones in May or June of 2021. You know, but it, it, it might be unfair. That might be extra steps you have to go through to get the title shot. But listen, you know, life isn't fair. The UFC's not fair. You know what I mean? But this would solidify. There would be nobody who would argue. If Santos beats, because uh, I'd probably favor Santos in the Teixeira fight, and I'd favor Santos in the Blahovich fight just because they fought before uh, and Santos won. Um, but if Santos comes back and beats Teixeira and beats Blahovich, how can you tell him that he, he doesn't get the next title shot? You know what I mean? And I'm also one of the people who, you know, I mentioned on yesterday's show, recency bias is a major thing in the UFC. So because of recency bias, fans are clamoring for Jones and Reyes too, because that was the most recent fight and it was very close. But let's not forget, and I think John Jones won this fight by unanimous decision, but the judges' scorecards read a split decision versus Thiago Santos. Now, he completely fucking blew out his knee. So, you know, you couldn't do the immediate rematch because, you know, it it took him like a year to recover. Um, but you really can make a case that Santos should just have an immediate rematch with John Jones straight up. Like, he literally won the fight on one of the scorecards. You know what I mean? So who's who's done that? Has anybody done that? I don't think anybody's done that. I don't think... Was the Gustafson fight the first fight? Was it was it a split decision? I don't know if it was a split decision. I think that's the first time that's ever happened for John Jones. So, you know what I mean? It's not fair, but you know what I mean. When, when we're talking about mailman's matchmaking here, you know this this would keep Thiago Santos active, and you couldn't deny. So anybody who come any of those three fighters that come out of that, you could not deny him a title shot. If Blahovich beats Santos title shot. If Blahovich beats Teixeira, title shot. If Teixeira beats Santos and Blahovich, title shot. Then we get the rematch. You know what I mean? Let's let's not forget, you know, Glover Teixeira is an old man, but he had a lot of hype coming into that fight. I believe at 174 versus John Jones, the, the fight in, uh, in Baltimore. So uh, that is what I need to see. That would provide clarity. Uh, you know, those are the real contenders, the real players in the light heavyweight division. Um, everybody else, I got to see more. I got to see more. But that's the clearest clearest path, clearest path for, for those uh, handful of fighters. Uh, moving on here now, uh, still in, in mailman's matchmaking here in the middleweight division. I need to see the winner of Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa versus the winner of Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier. Any combination of those winners I need to see. If it's Adesanya and Cannoneer, if it's Adesanya and Whitaker 2, if it's Costa and Cannoneer, if it's Costa and Whitaker, don't care. Any of those four matchups would be brilliant. I need to see it. I need to see it. Now, if I was a betting man, I would favor Adesanya versus Costa, and I would favor Whitaker versus Cannoneer. So I would say the most likely scenario is a rematch between Adesanya and Whitaker. I'd be very intrigued in that fight. I would still think Adesanya would win that fight, but, you know, listen, Whitaker is a very, very, very tough fighter. Uh, you know, every fight is different, so I can't say it's not 
it's not possible that Whitaker could beat Adesanya if they did a rematch. The thing that worked against him for the immediate rematch with Adesanya is, although he was the champion for a relatively significant amount of time, he technically had no title defenses. Because... <sighs> Romero missed weight. He, he If you look back at Whitaker's title reign, really, really weird. He gets the interim belt from Romero... Uh, he gets promoted to Undisputed after GSP vacates, and then Romero misses weight again. So he, I, I don't believe he has a title defense. So that kind of worked against him. But listen, he beat Till, fair play. And I'm kind of surprised at the quick turnaround uh, to fight uh, Cannoneer. Now, again, the beauty of this situation is that I believe those are the top four fighters uh, in the middleweight division. And obviously they are the top four when you look at the rankings. Champion and then one through three. But the brilliance of this is it would not shock me in the in the slightest if any of those four fighters ran the gamut. It would not shock me at all if Cannoneer beats Whitaker and then goes on to beat the winner of Adesanya and Costa. And, and I could say the same for any of those guys. So it's a really fun kind of round robin here, kind of a, a tournament. Um, so I, I think that's what has to be done. You know, it's a little unfair to those guys just on the outside. You know what I mean? What do you do with Hermanson? What do you do with Brunson? Do you match them up? Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of over giving Yo Romero a, a shit ton of title fights, so he doesn't really factor into my shit here. Shabazian just lost, so that uh, kind of clarifies what's what's going on towards the top of the division. Um, but I, I just have to see it. I have to see it. It's going to be very, very fun. And I think now that those two fights are officially booked, I believe that's what's going to happen. So uh, I, I absolutely need to see that. Uh, sticking here in the middleweight division, uh, a fight I absolutely have to see, Derek Brunson versus the winner of Yoel Romero and Uriah Hall. I need to see it. I need to see it. Now, uh, I can pull up uh, Tapology around here, but I, I, I know that I know that Brunson has fought Yoel Romero before, and I know that Brunson has fought Uriah Hall. So no matter who wins that fight, it's going to be interesting. I would say it's more likely that Romero beats Hall, and then, I mean, even if Hall wins, I still think that's probably a, a fight night main event. You know what I mean? So... Uh, I, I don't know what to make of Hall. He's a very weird fighter. He's very talented. He'll win some. He'll lose some that he definitely shouldn't lose. Um, but I, I really need to see it. Uh, you know, uh, the the fight with Brunson and Romero happened back in 2014, so I think plenty of stuff has happened in between, um, you know, that, uh, that would make that fight interesting to see again. Uh, the fight with Uriah Hall goes back to 2016, um, so a little less to see there, but I, I'd still be interested. And from a ranking standpoint, it makes sense. So Brunson is at five, Romero's at six, and Uriah Hall is at nine. So if Uriah Hall wins, he's probably at six or seven, and then just logically it makes sense to match him up with a number five guy. If Romero beats Hall, he probably stays at number six, but maybe he goes at five and Brunson drops down to six. But either way... Really, really, either way, either scenario, it's probably number five versus number six. So, I'm very intrigued by this fight. I think Brunson's a completely different fighter now that he's patient. 
you know, he's still a very well-rounded fighter, good striking, good wrestling, um, you know what I mean, but a lot more patient. So I'd be I'd be very interested. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I watched the Romero and Brunson fight from before, but it, it kind of would be interesting because, you know, Romero is always never going to use his wrestling. So even though he has a wrestling advantage, it doesn't matter. He, he doesn't use it, so it's irrelevant. Um, and I don't really, I don't really know if Brunson would try to take Romero down. So it's probably a kickboxing match and Romero has three to four bursts when, it, well, not in the Izzy fight, but typically he has three to four bursts, uh, around. So it would be interesting if, if Brunson's fighting this, you know, new advanced, mature, patient style. Well, I don't know. That's, that's interesting. How would that fare versus a guy like, like Yoel Romero? How would that patient style fare against Uriah Hall, a guy who also is a bit of a explosive guy, you know, a really dangerous guy, plenty of, of spinning weapons and, you know, things like this. So uh, I, I'm very interested. I think that is the fight to make uh, in the middleweight division. <clears throat> uh, moving on here to the welterweight division. Uh, this one provides a lot of clarity because I think it just pretty much takes all of the top fighters and and matches them up, which I think is what needs to be done here in the welterweight division. There's a lot of fighters who don't have fights lined up. And again, we need clarification. The mailman is here to provide clarification. So obvious one here. I need Usman to fight Burns. Burns is the number one contender. Usman's a champion. It was scheduled before. Let's get it done. I think Usman, I don't want to say demolishes him, but I think Usman wins that fight probably like 49-46. Burns is tough, and Burns is very well-rounded. So, you know, his striking's really come together. Obviously, he's got the BJJ background, very good on the ground. So that would be kind of interesting. I think Kamaru Usman's just several steps ahead of anybody in that welterweight division. Um, but he's a number one contender, and, and, and uh, you know, we got to see it. He's on this, uh, you know, resurgence. So uh, I need to see that. I think that would be interesting. I think that would be a, a very good fight. It's not... It's not going to do a whole lot for the casuals. It's not going to do a whole lot, you know, mainstream-wise, just because I don't think Burns is that big of a name. Nor is Kamaru Usman, for that for that matter. But you know, we all we all know all of the all the diehards. We all know how good Usman and Burns really are. So, you know, that's going to be a, a very very interesting fight uh, stylistically because could be a lot of wrestling. Could just be a kickboxing match. Don't really know. I don't really know. But Gilbert Burns has put an ass whooping on on, you know, Damian Maya and, and Tyron Woodley. So, you know, I, I got to see it. I got to see it. Uh, also, I need to see Colby Covington take on Tyron Woodley. I know there's some weird shit going on there. Tyron says Colby didn't sign the paperwork. I'm sure Colby says Tyron didn't sign the paperwork. I don't give a shit. We need to make this fight happen. Just pay him some extra money. This is a great fight. I would heavily favor Colby Covington, and that's saying something because you guys know I love Mizzou fighters and I love uh, Tyron Woodley. Uh, but I also I also like Colby Covington as well. So, um, but I, I think his pay. I, listen, we we look at guys who are good strikers, and Colby's a good striker. Doesn't have a lot of power. I get that, um, but he's a good striker. He, he's he's really come along, and obviously he's a great wrestler. Amazing cardio. Okay. Who does that remind you remind you of? And I understand it's apples to oranges. Again, I'm dr- I'm just drawing some parallels. I'm not saying it's exactly the same. But who else is a well-rounded fighter who has a great gas tank who has fucked up Tyron Woodley in the past? Look at his last two fights. 
Usman, great gas tank, much improved striking, awesome wrestler. Absolutely fucked up Tyron Woodley. Uh, I gotta, I gotta take a break here. I gotta take a phone call, but I'll be back in a sec. All right, sorry about that. I totally forgot where I was. I was leaving off. Had to take a call there. Uh, but that's that's the real life nature here of uh, you know being uh, being a journalist. Um, but I believe I was talking about Colby Covington and uh, and Tyron Woodley. So I need to see it happen um, again. You look at people who have given Tyron Woodley problems in the past. It's it's guys who are proficient strikers who have great gas tanks and uh, good cardio. So, well, I guess a, uh, good wrestling, I mean. Obviously, cardio goes with the, the gas tank. So, I think it's it's a very bad fight stylistically for Woodley because you look at Usman, you look at Burns, Covington's... A, you could draw parallels between all three of them. Again, they're not exactly similar, but they're, they're relatively similar. So, I think it's a bad fight for him, but I like it because I think it would really motivate Tyron Woodley. He really hates Colby Covington. I don't think he hated Usman. I don't think he hated Burns. He really hates Ty- uh, Colby Covington. So I think it would be a fun fight. I think it would do great things for media, all things considered. It's probably You, you would probably headline a, a fight night with that or maybe a co-main event on a pay-per-view. Um, but I think that would move the needle. That's a needle mover. You know, I'm not trying to make it seem like this is... Brock Lesnar versus Shane Carwin or something like that, but it's a needle mover. It, it really, it really is. So I think it's good. I think if it's Covington, from his perspective, you stay active, you get another win. It's versus your rival. Covington doesn't like Woodley either. So uh, I think it'll be interesting if we're going to see Woodley kind of get back on track. This is the fight. This is a fight. If he loses this one, which I, I would certainly favor Covington. Um, that might be good night for Woodley. That might be the end. You know what I mean? One of the best welterweight champions. One of the best. Let's not forget Tyron Woodley, one of the best champions of all time. Four title defenses. It, like honestly, on two hands, you could name fighters in the UFC who have had more. Maybe that might even be generous. How many fighters have had more title defenses than Tyron Woodley? Nunez, Johnson, Silva, GSP, Jones. I mean, fuck. You, there are some great champions who don't have four title defenses. So, let you know, I understand it's popular to shit on Woodley because, you know, he's an unpopular fighter or whatever. I don't think he is. Um, but this, this is one of the best champions the UFC's ever seen. So, I need to see this fight happen. Uh, additionally, I also need to see Jorge Masvidal take on either, so I'm giving you guys a choice here, Leon Edwards or Wonderboy Thompson. I need to see this happen. Now, rankings-wise, it makes sense. Masvidal sitting at four in the North Star Sports rankings. Edwards is number three. Thompson's number six. So, there's storylines. The biggest thing that really pushes the needle is storylines. So you could put you could put the number one contender versus the number two contender and have them fight. But who gives a shit? There has to be something more. Now that might be the right move to make rankings-wise. But just because it's number one versus number two doesn't mean anyone will care. It doesn't mean anyone will give a shit. So there are storylines here. Masvidal and Edwards, the three-piece in the soda. Edwards is on an eight-fight winning streak. Wow, this guy's overlooked. You know, he's not getting his shot at the title because he's fighting Masvidal. But wow, this is... If Edwards wins, he just beat the BMF. Wow, people are really going to know who Leon Edwards is. Conversely, what's what's at at stake for Masvidal? You're going to beat the shit out of the guy who you hate. Uh, you know, you get to beat a guy who's, you know, on an eight-fight winning streak. He's ranked ahead of you. So, you know, rankings-wise, wise, 
it makes sense. So I, I kind of need to see it. It makes sense for both fighters um, in, in different ways. It, it also doesn't make sense in, in certain ways, but I think that'd be a very good fight, very interesting fight. I'd probably favor Masvidal, but listen, I'm not trying to you know overlook Edwards. I understand he's a very, very good fighter who's been overlooked often. And I, quite honestly, I think Leon Edwards would have fucking smashed Tyron Woodley as well, you know, just given the current state of Tyron Woodley. Now, also, I'm throwing out the option of Masvidal versus Thompson. So Thompson is ranked number six. So that's not going to move the needle for Masvidal. But Masvidal said he wants the rematch with Thompson. So I don't think the rankings matter. Now, the rankings make sense. Um, but Wonderboy's a very tough fighter. I mean, I don't know who I'd favor in that fight. I guess I'd favor Masvidal just because of the the resurrection, but Thompson can beat anybody. Thompson is so weird, and I would like that. It would be a nice storyline. It would be, you know, Masvidal, uh, you know, trying trying to get back that his last loss, uh, you know, outside of the Usman one. You know what I mean? Before this whole surge for Thompson, is trying to get back to the title. He'd be in the top five if, if he beat Masvidal. So I'd like it, and there would be no animosity. I don't think there'd be any animosity. Uh, you know, Wonderboy Thompson is the nicest motherfucker on the planet. Masvidal's the BMF, but Masvidal wouldn't trash talk Thompson. He has a lot of respect for him. So I think it would be a refreshing change of pace. You know what I mean? We kind of saw the nice guy in Masvidal come out after his win with Usman, you know, praising Usman and saying, saying you know, we don't have to trash talk to promote and stuff like that. So I think that would be a nice, it's kind of like Connor coming back and taking on Cowboy. And then, you know, this is the nice Connor, you know, not that Masvidal is not a nice guy, but obviously, you know, his last couple of fights, uh, you know, have been about, I fucking hate this guy. I'm going to break his face. So, you know, I think that's something that would definitely intrigue Jorge Masvidal. Um, I don't really want to see him take on Nate Diaz. He beat him fair and square. He beat him every minute of that fight. He beat him every minute of that fight. Now, that I'd still be interested in that fight, and it would do good numbers, but I'm just not even remotely interested in Masvidal fighting Nate Diaz again. What would change? What's changed? Maybe in the future, maybe in the future, maybe a couple of years down the road, when, when more stuff has happened and more stuff has changed, but what would change? Nate Diaz would have got knocked out in the, in the fourth round or fifth round. It was a clear-cut win for Masvidal, even if there was some, you know, skullduggery with the, you know, the doctor stopping it. Um, so moving on here, uh, in the lightweight division, uh, the fight I need to see, uh, let's see, we have three fights I need to see in the lightweight division. I need to see Tony Ferguson take on Charles Oliveira. Now, Ferguson, Ferguson's sitting at number three. Oliveira is sitting there in the top five at number five. I need to see it. I'm very intrigued in this new version of Oliveira. He really made a statement when he beat Kevin Lee, uh, I believe in May down in, in, uh, Brazil. So I, I need to see that. And for Ferguson, look at the guys around Ferguson. Who do you, who do you think he's going to fight? So Poirier just had a complete war with Dan Hooker. Do you think Poirier's interested in a fight with Ferguson when the stakes aren't clear? So I'll just preface this by saying the, the hot talker right now is that Khabib is going to face Justin in, I believe, October. And then in April or, or May, he's going to fight GSP. So there's not a clear path back to the title when you talk about the next calendar year for Dustin Poirier. So do you think he wants to stay active with a fight with Tony Ferguson? Probably not. <clears throat> Excuse me. Conor McGregor sitting there at number four. 
Do we? Do you really think Connor's going to come back and fight Tony Ferguson? Hell no. So who's next in line? Who's the next top opponent who logically would make sense? Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira. So, you know, let's let's match those two up. It makes sense. Ferguson trying to get back, back to his winning ways. Oliveira, this is a kid who's been in the UFC since he's 20. I think he has the most submission wins, or at least he's tied for the most submission wins in UFC history. I want to see where Oliveira is, and I want to see where Ferguson is. I want to see how he rebounds, and I want to see if Oliveira is the real deal. And if he beats Tony Ferguson, he takes his number three rankings, and then, I mean, Jesus, we might be talking about Oliveira getting a title shot in 2021, uh, you know, in that lightweight division. So, stylistically, it'd be very interesting. Oliveira is a much-improved striker. We saw that in his fight with Kevin Lee. He's also a really dangerous grappler, but so is Tony Ferguson. So, no matter where the fight is, whether it's stand-up, in the clinch, or on the ground, that's going to be a great fight. So I got to see it. Uh, another one I got to see here, a little lower in the rankings. Number six and number seven, Dan Hooker and Paul Felder. I need a rematch. I need a rematch. I am convinced. I, I, I am convinced. You could not convince me otherwise that Paul Felder beat Dan Hooker. I just I don't see it. I don't see it. Either way, it was a very close fight. I think that's a borderline robbery that Dan Hooker won. I think he only won because it was in New Zealand. Let's put that fight in America. Let's, let's, <coughs> excuse me, choking on my coffee. Um, let's put that fight in America. Let's do the rematch and let's see what happens. It makes sense. So Dan Hooker lost to Dustin Poirier. So he's coming off of a loss. Where does he go from here? I mean, he already beat Al Quinta. I don't know when Kevin Lee's coming back. He's not going to get a fight with Connor. He's not going to get a fight with Tony. Uh, you know what I mean? Maybe he gets a fight with Oliveira. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, it just happened. It was a fight of the year contender. So let, let's run it back. There were some questions, some controversy. Controversy. So let's do it. And for Paul Felder, I mean, who do you really match him up with? I mean, maybe Ally Aquinta. I, I think there's more options for Paul Felder uh, than there are for Dan Hooker, at least when it comes to logically who you should fight next. We could do Felder versus Lee. We could do Felder versus Carlos Diego uh, Fajeda. We could do him versus uh, Charles Oliveira. Hooker has faced a lot of these guys already. So, you know what I mean? Do you match him up with Ally Aquinta again? I'm not interested in that. That fight wasn't even close. So, I, I think, you know, let's do the quick turnaround in the grand scheme of things and book the rematch. Uh, you know, I still say give him plenty of time to... To fight, there's there's no rush in the lightweight division because the the, the title is going to be locked up for a hot minute. So that's something I really need to see. Also, uh, way down in the rankings, I would like to see Drew Dober take on Donald Cerrone. I don't believe Dober has a fight coming up. Uh, I could be wrong. I could check that real quick. I tried to do my best to make sure none of these guys had fights coming up. Uh, or if they did, that I would say the winner of the fight versus, uh, you know, whoever. But Drew Dober, this guy, he's really on uh, a resurgence here. Okay, he doesn't have a fight scheduled according to Tapology. So, three-fight knockout streak, streak uh, two in the first round, one in the second round. Polo Reyes, Nasrat Hakparas, and Alexander Hernandez, a guy who's been in the rankings. We currently have him ranked at number 13. Donald Cerrone is currently ranked at number 14. Let's match him up. Now... It doesn't make perfect sense for Dober because he's ahead of Cerrone in the rankings. But when it comes to, uh, you know, a litmus test, when it comes to building your name, fight 
fight a very popular fan favorite fighter in Cowboy Cerrone. And for Cerrone, it makes sense. He's higher than you in the rankings. If you want to climb back, let's do it. I think he should stick at lightweight. Uh, you know, and, and this uh, this kind of just makes sense. Uh, I would heavily favor Drew Dober, uh, just given the, the losing streak for Cerrone, albeit his losing streak was, was to very good fighters. So it's a step up for Dober. Maybe it's a step down for Cerrone, we'll, but we'll find out. We'll only know if he wins or loses. So uh, I think logically that uh, would make a lot of sense, uh, just kind of with the uncertainty towards the top of the division. Uh, moving on here to the featherweight division, a fight I absolutely need to see. Uh, Brian Ortega versus a Korean zombie. It makes sense. Number two versus number four. Uh, actually, number three versus number four. Sorry. Uh, there's been some trash talking. He punched Park, whatever the hell that guy's name is, Chan Sung Jung's translator. It makes sense. Brian Ortega has not fought since December of 2018. It's it, We're almost going on two years of inactivity for Brian Ortega. We are very close to removing Brian Ortega from the featherweight rankings. This guy's not active. So there are very, very big question marks when it comes to Brian Ortega and his return. Whether or not you like it or whether or not you don't, he has not been active, and the last fight he had was a vicious ass-beating of, of legendary proportions. So there are a lot of questions surrounding Brian Ortega. Chan Sung Jung, on the other hand, a little more active, you know, a little more active. I mean, he had, he had the win over uh, Hinato Moicano. Uh, when was that? Last last July, I believe. So this this would be an interesting fight. The winner of this probably gets a title shot. And, you know, Volkanovski's talked about it. Others have talked about it. The top seven in the featherweight division is very inactive relative to other divisions. So if you just stay active, you really, really boost your chances at a title fight. Uh, another matchup I need to see here is Volkanovski versus the winner of Zabit and Yair Rodriguez. Zabit is the number one contender, and Yair Rodriguez is number six in the North Star rankings. I think the title shot is much more clearer for Zabit, just because if he wins, he's already the number one contender. Let's put him in there versus Volko. For Yair, I'd still match him up for the title if he beats Sabit, but uh, you know there might be some fuckery when it comes to giving him a title shot, just because he's kind of been a dick to the U- to the UFC when it comes to matchmaking. But you know this is a guy in Zabit who's on a 14 fight winning streak. He's undefeated in the UFC. A win over Jeremy Stevens, a win over Calvin Cater, and then a win over Rodriguez. Let's put him in there versus Volko. I think that'd be a very interesting fight. He- he's going to be. Sig- I mean. You thought Holloway looked tall versus Volko. Zabit is two inches taller. He's six foot one. So six one versus five six. That'll be interesting. Uh, Zabit really seems like a complete fighter, although it seems like he prefers to strike. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the game plan from Volkanovski and how he kind of handles this weird guy. And then, you know, conversely with Yair Rodriguez, I mean, such a flashy, interesting striker. How does that match up with Volkanovski? I mean, both of those matchups would be absolutely brilliant. So. I think that's what's next for uh, the winner of that fight. Uh, and I believe that fight's supposed to take place in at the end of August. So I think the timelines would really match up uh, quite well for uh, for all parties involved. Assuming it's not a all-out war between Zabit and Yair that you know requires like a torn ACL surgery or something like that. Uh, and then the other one I, I, I want to see is Holloway versus Cater. 
I don't want to see Holloway versus Volkanovski 3. I think that's very stupid matchmaking. I mean, if we're doing Holloway and Volkanovski 3, why not do Holloway, Volkanovski 4 once Holloway loses that one again? L- let Volko move on. Let Holloway move on. I would like to see Holloway move up to fe- uh, to, uh, to lightweight. But I think if he stays at featherweight, let's put him in there versus Cater. It's going to be a slugging match. going to be a great kickboxing match for Cater. It's a step up for Holloway. It solidifies... Uh, you know his place in in the top two of of that division. Uh, you know with with a win over a surging guy. So I think uh, matchup wise, it would be an incredibly fun fight, and you know real ramifications for uh, both parties involved. Now moving here, we got three more fights I'd like to see for mailman's matchmaking. Here in the bantamweight division, Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling has to happen. I don't understand how anybody could think Sterling's not next in line. Look at Sterling and look at the top five, I believe. Maybe top four. Sterling just beat... So, Sandhagen's at number four. Sterling just beat him. Cody Garbrandt is on a one-fight winning streak. Mar- Marlon Marais lost to Aljamain Sterling. Uh, so, Piotr Jan's the champ. The number one contender has to be Sterling. I thought Sterling should have got the title shot over Aldo. I think it was kind of bullshit that Aldo got the title shot. So, this needs to happen... No questions about it. I, I will not accept any other fight versus Piotr Jan. I won't accept Garbrandt. I won't accept Marais. It has to. It has to, has to, has to be Aljamain Sterling. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. This guy's the rightful number one contender by a mile. By a mile. Now, I understand if he gets hurt. That's fine. We could put somebody else in there. But if if Aljamain Sterling is healthy, it just has to happen. Um, I need to see Marais versus Garbrandt. Number two versus number three. That could be next in line for the title fight. We have, you know, the long-haired Cody, the new the new Cody, and Marlon Marais still kicking around. So I think that would be uh, an interesting fight. And then also, I need to see number six versus number nine. I need to see Aldo and Dominic Cruz. It doesn't really make sense for the rankings, but it's a legacy fight for both of them. So I don't, like, look at Dominic Cruz at number nine. Rankings-wise, would it make sense to match him up with Rob Font? Yes. Am I interested in a fight between Dominic Cruz and Rob Font? Absolutely fucking not. So, you know what I mean? Let's put two legends up against each other. It's it's an awesome legacy fight for both of those guys. That's probably... Hmm. It's tough because they both had really good careers, but to be honest, I know they're advanced in their career right now, age-wise. Um, but they're still, I wouldn't say either of them are in their prime, obviously, but they're, they're not washed. You know what I mean? They might not be in their prime, but they're not washed. And it would be an interesting fight. If you would have told me that fight would have happened in 2013, I would have been way more interested. But, but if Dominic Cruz beats Jose Aldo, that's probably the best resume win he'll have. The best name on Dominic Cruz's resume would probably be Jose Aldo if he beats him. Same for Aldo. If Aldo beats Dominic Cruz, that's probably the best win he's ever had when you look at the resume of, of, of the opponent. So for, it's true for both of them. So let's do that. I'd be so interested in that. I think it would motivate both of the guys. You're not necessarily putting them in there with a young killer. You know, nobody nobody's really interested in Dominic Cruz versus Song Yadong or Cody Stamen. You know what I mean? All respect to those guys, but they're not big names. So... This just makes sense. Let's put that together. Uh, that that would be a very, very awesome fight. Um, so that's going to conclude Mailman's matchmaking. Uh, I'll see how we're doing for time here. 
Uh, running a little long on time, but uh, you know that's that's fine. Um, we'll move on here to uh, a preview of the Contender series. I'll just make some picks. Again, don't know a whole lot about any of these fighters, but I just want to put this out in the ether that we have the picks, uh, just because it makes it more interesting. So I have the odds somewhere here. I uh, got way too many tabs open, which uh, kind of makes it kind of makes it a little uh, hard. Um, but I just want to say I'm so excited to have uh, the the Contender series back. I think it's one of the best shows uh, in in all of television. It's it's so interesting. I think it's so far superior to um, uh, the Ultimate Fighter. Now the UFC is trying to bring the Ultimate Fighter back, but the contender series is just like when you look at the guys who have come from the contender series i mean holy smokes we're gonna have it's not gonna be long before we have a champion from the contender series jimmy crute brendan allen sadiq yusuf all ranked guys edmund chabazian ranked ryan span he's ranked kevin holland is a very interesting fighter grant dawson i think he's like four and oh in the ufc alex perez if we did rankings for flyweight he'd be pretty high Dan Ige, what a great fighter. Casey Kenny, a great fighter. Sean O'Malley, Macy Barber. Like, you know what I mean? There's This is by far the best way. When you look at new fighters who have come into the UFC, by far the best ones that have come into the UFC and made an impact over the last two or three years, they've come from the Contender Series. So, even when you look at... The Ultimate Fighter was running up until, I think, 2018... You look at the last couple of seasons of The Ultimate Fighter, fucking nobody came from those seasons. Now, it's it's only two or three years since some of those later Ultimate Fighter seasons. But, like, it, it, it's so... It's a different thing, so it's apples and oranges, but it's so inferior. Why would I, if I was a fighter, do The Ultimate Fighter and not the Contender Series? The Ultimate Fighter, I have to be in the house for, like, three months. I have to fight, like, fucking seven guys. You know what I mean? for like no money just to become the ultimate fighter and get get a contract in the UFC. I'd much rather do the contender series where I only have to win one fight. I only have to fight for 15 minutes and perform well to get my shot into the UFC as opposed to, you know, taking 3 or 4 months out of your life and and doing the ultimate fighter. So they're they're both valid, they're both different things, but if I was a fighter, I'd much rather do this cuz if I win and I win convincingly in exciting fashion, I'm in the UFC just like that. So uh, I, I think it's so much, it, it's far more superior. Uh, you know, the intrigue is is there. I don't have to watch 20 episodes. You know what I mean? It, it's it's the world's toughest job interview, like they say. I mean, the, the pressure's really on. Like, you know what I mean? You're not, it's not pressure over four months. It's pressure over, I mean, obviously they're training, but, you know, it's pressure over one day. So I've loved it. I've watched it since season one. Um, le- real legitimate fighters come from this. So uh, let's see. I had the odds somewhere. Um, actually, not fuck it. Well, fuck the odds. We'll we'll just we'll straight up go off of uh, off of just the fighters. So we have Ty Flores taking on Dustin Jacoby in the main event. Uh, this one's interesting. Not not super impressive uh, record. Seven and two versus eleven and five. Uh, Jacoby, uh, he is a kickboxer from Glory, so he does have some fights. He actually got knocked out uh, by uh, Alex Pere- Alex Pereira, the guy who knocked out Israel Adesanya. 
So he's 6'4", uh, he's fighting at heavyweight, but he's only 32, which is pretty young for, for the heavyweight. He's going to have great striking, uh, you know, just from his kickboxing days, which is is very interesting. Um, I think res- if you can wrestle in the heavyweight division, you're already at a major advantage. But if you can be a good striker in the heavyweight division, it's not a, not a bad combination either. So this guy has a, a lot a lot of combat experience. He started his mixed martial arts career actually back in 2010. Uh, 11-5 record is not not good. Not good. But, you know, listen, it only matters once you made it to the big show. Uh, looking here at Ty Flores. Uh, he's six foot three. Uh, he's at light heavyweight. I, I believe this is at heavyweight, but honestly, I don't know if it's heavyweight or light heavyweight. Either way, these are, these are some big boys. Uh, he's 26. He's on a five-fight winning streak, uh, and and four of those have been by finishes. Three of them by rear naked choke. So uh, appears to be pretty good uh, on the ground. He has a loss to Jeff Neal back in 2015. So that's pretty fucking interesting right there. Uh, I I think I'm gonna go with Dustin Jacoby on on this one just because of his kickboxing experience. But uh, this one will be interesting. Uh, we also have a fight here between Uros Medic. And uh, Mikey Gonzalez. So Medic is five and zero. He was uh, born in Serbia. He's, he's twenty seven years old, uh, fighting here at uh, welterweight. Um, a lot of finishes. All five of his fights have been by finishes. You look at the records of of his opponents. Really not good. Two and zero, four and four, one and four, zero and one, and five and zero. So that is very concerning to me. That looks like a Russian fighter to me. Uh, you know how Russians always pad uh, their their records, so that that is concerning. I'd be very concerned if he got into the UFC at six and zero. But we have Mikey Gonzalez here at seven and one. He's thirty four, so I mean he's technically in his prime. Five uh, eleven. Um, let's see here. A, a much a much tougher record. I mean. Uh, he's, he's had two fights with Justin Baseman, uh, who I know fought in uh, BKFC. I think he got knocked out in like fucking like 11 seconds by, uh, oh man, was it like Chris Lieben or something? Uh, who knows? That's real sloppy, real sloppy uh, sports. Uh, we'll, I guess we'll go Medic. We'll go Medic on this one just because uh, he, he's been stringing together some finishes. Uh, we have Luis Rodriguez here. Lazy Boy is his nickname. That's a fucking terrible nickname. Uh, he's five foot six here, fighting at flyweight, uh, or, or I guess potentially bantamweight here. Uh, but he's on a seven-fight winning streak. He has a couple of finishes, a couple of knockouts, a couple of uh, chokes. Uh, so uh, a guy who finishes fights, just looking at his opponent's records, um, not bad, not bad. You know, guys who have winning records, which is really all you can hope for when you're looking at guys who are coming into the UFC. I think. You know, your strength of schedule really, really matters when it comes to, uh, you know, making your UFC debut. Uh, taking on Jerome Rivera. He's uh, 5'10", which is pretty fucking tall for flyweight and or bantamweight. Uh, but he's 25, so, you know, potentially a guy who projects as uh, maybe a featherweight down the road. I, I, I'd say 5'10 is pretty tall for featherweight as well, but uh, not ridiculous. So, potentially a guy who's going to grow through uh, divisions. Uh, he's two and two in his last four. He has a loss to Brandon Royval, uh, who we saw uh, win over uh, Tim Elliott, I believe, on Fight Island. Might have been the first fight card on Fight Island. 
Um, so that, that's interesting, but this is a guy who, uh, you look at his resume, doesn't doesn't really go to decisions. Either he gets finished or he finishes somebody. So uh, his fight time is, is not very long. Uh, kind of looking at these two guys here. I'm going to go with Luis Rodriguez on this one over Jerome Rivera, but uh, I, I do think this one will be an interesting fight. Uh, and then we have uh, the, the fourth fight, the, the first fight on the... Uh, well, fuck, I guess the main card. I guess it's not really a card. It's just a, uh, you know, collection of fights. But we have uh, Jose Flores. He's 9-1. 6'1 at lightweight, so uh, pretty tall. He's on a two-fight winning streak, 32 years old. Uh, he actually was on Dana, White, uh, Dana White's Contender Series in 2017. He lost to Matt Frivola. So, lost to UFC competition, but came back, got two wins in Kambache. And um, let's take it on Jordan Levitt here. Levitt is 6-0. and uh, he is 25, five foot 11. So, I mean, uh, that's not bad. Um, coming out of, uh, his last fight was in LFA. Uh, you look at his resume, a lot, a lot of guys who are 0 and 1, 1 and 0, uh, 0 and 0. So that's a little concerning. I think given the experience, I'm going to go with Jose Flores on this one to beat Jordan Levitt. Um, again, this is just cursory research. I don't feel good about any of the picks I've just made, but uh, you know, I know that uh, picking fighters uh, before you watch the fights just add to the intrigue. So I figured we'd just kind of get that out of the way and, and and pick that. Maybe next week when I have more time, this this kind of snuck up on me, uh, we'll, we'll do a deeper dive into next week's uh, Contender Series fight and, and really properly break it down. But I just wanted to put this out in the ether, uh, the picks that we've made uh, here for the uh, inaugural 2020 uh, Contender Series fight. Uh, let's see here. We also got, I think we're going to skip, uh, the, the XFL getting purchased by the rock. Maybe we'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, but we have the Minnesota wild tonight taking on the Vancouver Canucks in, uh, the, uh, opening qualifying series. Uh, Minnesota won the first game one to zero a couple of days ago, uh, 9:45 start. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, I, I actually prefer those late start times just because I'm, uh, a real night owl, uh, and that probably gives me enough time to watch the Contender Series and then tune into the Wild. Um, I was presented with an interesting kind of theory, a, a way to look at the Wild here, um, where some people contend this is a win-win for the Wild. So, if the Wild lose, they get a 12% chance at the number one pick, but if they win and if they beat the Canucks convincingly, they could win a Stanley Cup. You know what I mean? So it's a win-win. I would say there's still a loss somewhere in there. So I think the worst, I think the worst case scenario for the Wild is they beat the Canucks and then get smoked in the next round of the playoffs. That would be the worst case scenario because you missed out on your 12% chance to get the first overall pick, and you didn't go far enough to really contend for a Stanley, a Stanley Cup. Now I don't think they're going to win a Stanley Cup this year. Because I don't think they're that good. I just think the Canucks aren't really that good as well. I would rather take the 12% chance at getting the first overall pick, bring all my players home, keep them healthy. And I got to be honest with you guys, I'm not saying the NHL is rigged. I'm not saying this. I'm just saying you look at the Wild, you look at their fan base, the quote-unquote state of hockey. If the Wild lose... Say that, well, just lose the series. If they lose the series to the Canucks, is it really 
a 12% chance that the Wild get the first overall pick? Do we really think it's a 12% chance? Or is it more like a 40% chance? Is it more like a 50% chance? Because I'm just putting this out there. I'm not saying anybody did anything. I don't have any insider knowledge. I'm just throwing it out there. Minnesota is a very, very good hockey market. It's a state of hockey. Now, even when the Minnesota Wild have been dog shit, which they've been dog shit for plenty of years during their 20 years in the NHL, the XL virtually is always sold out. Fans, no matter how competitive the team is, I, I kind of view this as a detriment because the Wild will never have a great chance to truly be good because the fans will never stop showing up to games, therefore letting the front office know that they need to put a better product out on the ice or we're not coming. The Wild fans will always come. So if I'm the NHL and I look at an incredibly loyal fan base, would I rather have... Oh, shit, I don't even know who's not in the playoffs. Fuck. I, like, um, who's one of the worst teams? I don't know. The Kings didn't make the playoffs, right? I, I have no fucking idea. But, like, okay. Would I rather have Lafreniere go to the Los Angeles Kings or the Carolina Hurricanes, or fuck the Winnipeg Jets, or would I rather have them go to the Minnesota Wild? I, if I'm the NHL, it's going to be much better for business if the Minnesota Wild are contenders. State of hockey, number one hockey place in the United States. Uh, honestly, probably the number three hockey geographic location in all of the world i would put toronto number one i would put montreal number two and then i'd probably put minnesota number three to be honest with you i don't really see uh, clearly there's a strong fan base in vancouver clearly there's a strong fan base in edmonton but i think minnesota number one hockey place in america probably number three in the world uh so (laughs) if i was someone who rigged lotteries and if I was working for the NHL, I would probably rig Alexis Lafreniere uh, to the Minnesota Wild because I know that these people are going to show. Now, I guess it go- I guess it goes the other way too. I mean, whether or not we rig Lafreniere to the Wild, we're always going to have a sellout. But I don't know. The Wild have never won the first overall pick. I don't know. I'd be very interested. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a twelve percent chance that that he comes to the Wild. I really think. I really think it's a coin flip that he comes to the Wild. So. You know what I mean? Now that they got Kaprizov, they could be really, really, really fucking good if they got Lafreniere, Kaprizov, and if anybody else can can kind of, I don't know, do something. Obviously, you got Fiala. He's hot as shit over the you know the last half of the season. Uh, your your roster is mostly dog shit, uh, and it's mostly guys who I'd rather get rid of. So like, I'll pull up the old roster of Rooney here because it's. Uh, it's not very good. But, like, okay, if we can get Lafreniere and Kaprizov, if we can just get... I'm not saying these guys have to be top-line players like I would expect Kaprizov and Lafreniere to be, but if we can just get a little more from Donato, if we can get some more growth from Eriksson Ek, if we can get some more growth from Luke Kunin, hey, and if Fiala can stay this hot, wow, that's a very interesting offensive team. Uh, depth is going to be a major fucking problem. I can tell you that much. But, you know, there are some pieces here. Jordan Greenway, you know, if he could be a good third-line left winger, 
ah, that's pretty cool. You know, he gives you he gives you size that you really haven't had in, in a long time, if ever, to be honest. Um, you know, defensively, it gets a little interesting just because contractually, I don't I don't know who we're gonna be able to keep. I mean, you got Dumba, Brodine, Spurgeon, and Suter. I'm not interested in Spurgeon at all. Uh, maybe you can get something out of uh, Belpedio. But, uh, you know, if, if we could have a good core of four defensemen, that'd be cool. We're going to have to figure out goaltending. Stalock's not the long-term answer. Dubnik's not the long-term answer. Kakpo, uh, Kakanen could be. But, you know, that remains to be seen. But, you know, I'm sure they could figure out something. I guess they drafted Hunter Johnson. We'll see how that turns out. I don't think that was a good draft pick. But, uh, you know what I mean? They seem to be doing a little better at drafting. You know what I mean? They do have some legitimate prospects, um, you know, down in uh, in the WHL. I forget the kid's name, but he won the MVP of the WHL. Um, you know what I mean? So, you know, they, they have some legitimate prospects, and, you know, they're going to have to figure out what to do with Koivu. I don't think, I don't really think you want him to come back next year unless, you know, he takes a, a role as a third or fourth line center, and that's all it is. I mean, Stahl's getting older. You are completely handicapped with Parisian Suter and Zuccarello. Those are three of the worst contracts in the NHL. So that's really going to hurt you when it comes to having enough money to re-sign a guy like Kunin or Eriksson Ek. Um, but, fuck, man. If you could if you could just add Lafreniere, I mean, that would be the first time the Wild have had a franchise player since... Since Marion Gabrick, to be honest. And I... Well... They have a franchise player right now in Kaprizov. I think Kaprizov is the best player they've ever drafted, but I suppose that does remain uh, to be seen because he hasn't stepped uh, on the ice yet, and he won't step on the ice this year. So I guess that's still speculation. We still have to see how that translates, but I can tell you right now Kaprizov will be the best player on the Minnesota Wild next season, and and it probably won't even be close, to be honest. Uh, He's a very talented guy. So uh, I'm kind of excited. I I really do hope they lose this series, but I fear that they won't. Uh, What was it? This is... I think the Wild, I think I heard this on the radio, the Wild, or on the TV broadcast, um, the Wild have had 13 playoff series, I believe. This is the third time they've ever had, a, uh, they've ever won a game one in a playoff series. So they, that's a good sign for the Wild. They really don't get ahead in, in playoff series, you know, at least early. So they already won game one, you know what I mean? So if they win game two, it's, it's, I mean, the Canucks would have to win the next three. I'd say that's pretty unlikely, so... You know, I think we might have to legitimately talk about the Wild. Well, obviously, if they advance, you have to legitimately talk about them as a Stanley Cup contender. I still think they're, they'd be one of the worst teams in the playoffs, and I still think they'd get smoked. But listen, it just takes a hot goaltender, and Dubnik is incredibly, incredibly talented. Stalock is incredibly available. And, you know, you got Kakanen, so, uh, or Kapanen. Kapo Kakanen. Fucking Finnish names. Um,. But you know it's a real it's a real possibility, very slim. But you know I, I guess I'm kind of interested to see what they what they do here in this little uh, quarantine bubble. Uh, so with that, we're gonna wrap up the show here. Uh, we'll have another show tomorrow morning. So again, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely M N. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star M I N. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. And thanks for tuning into the show, everybody.